Welcome to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. We are again starting a new book this week. This book that we're covering now is called The Aching God by Mike Schell. Going back to the going back to the indie authors, Dan. But first we should get warmed up, Luke. Oh yeah. I think I think this is a new segment, kind of, like within the warm-up segment. I think there should be a story written about this, and I can't find one anywhere. Here's the story. We've been, in like any fantasy book that there's magic, magic is this really ancient force in the world, and people are really good at it, or they like discover, like rediscover this ancient magic that's been lost, or they are like inherently good at it and you know read in the library all these like spells that people have figured out over thousands of years so in all of these fantasy books magic is this really old system that people are just good at or they're not good at and this is true of any book that i've read that has magic in it but where's the book that somebody makes a fireball for the first time where's the book where somebody like magic doesn't exist and then somebody says some weird combination of words and they light their friend on fire (laughs) so as in just a book on the discovery of magic exactly where's the book on the discovery of magic going from zero magic in the world to holy shit there's magic okay the i so okay i haven't read a book like that and it sounds interesting, it would be my only issue with this is that what if the story is this person discovers, they like do what you said, where they say some combination of words and it creates a fireball. But then they just, maybe they know that combination of words, but don't know how to do anything else, which could lead to a very boring book, I think. (laughs) Okay, yeah, but... I mean, by that logic, you could say, what if Frodo had just got the ring and was like, eh, I'm not really into it. That, w- that would also be a super boring book. You're right. Obviously, I'm not going to write that book. <laughs> so are you, you're picturing this person discovering magic and then the rest of it coming naturally to them as well. Yeah, or maybe there's this big moment where suddenly they discover that it's possible And then they're going through the process of discovery of all the cool spells you can cast now that they've kind of unlocked the secret of magic and nobody else. Oh, man, because essentially you have a superhero at that point, right? Right. If only one person knows how to do magic in the whole world, if they can do anything, they're a superhero. Even if all they can do is cast a fireball, they're a freaking superhero. (sighs) Yeah, I, when you first said this, I was kind of thinking that it would have to be contemporary, as in like set in our current time period, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that's true. And I'm, I don't know why I originally thought that, but yeah, I could be on board with that. The other thing is, I'm actually now thinking that it wouldn't be great for contemporary, because if someone can create a fireball, and no one else can, like, the army has planes that shoot missiles. <laughs> so it wouldn't be that big of an advantage. Yeah, your fireball's not that cool. It's cool. But, like, it's not that cool. Right. 
Although, I mean, it would it would be super cool to read a story in contemporary times with somebody discovering magic exists. Yeah. And I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if that something similar to that exists. Honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, it probably does. So, so, okay. Here listeners get, tell us, tell us about it. I know you guys know about a book like this. (laughs) Just tweet it at us or, or some other form of media that we check reddit you could send us a message on reddit yeah i think our our reddit user is the same as our twitter so dc to bc yeah i just think look there's a lot of books there's a lot of options for a fantasy book it seems like i mean don't get me wrong fantasy is great but there's a pretty wide range of opportunities for what a fantasy story could be like so yeah yeah for sure so if you yeah. steal my idea, this is this is my property. We've recorded it. So everybody right. knows I thought of it first. Right, that's how that works. Just give me a shout out, honestly. I don't even want money. Just give me a shout out. <laughs> okay. Let's get into the actual book that we're reading. The Aching God. So we have read about a third of it. We've read up to chapter 14. Mm-hmm. And this actually turned out to be the most perfect stopping point. Right. Like, because it ended with the title, basically. When you finally get the title of The Aching God mm-hmm. and who, like, what exactly that is, which I was pretty excited about. Right. Um, but let's... We should also say, we should also, the title of the book is Aching God. Not The Aching Not God? Not The Aching God, right. Good point. That's a good point. So... <laughs> Mike, if you're listening, we got you. <laughs> okay. Let's start at the beginning. My first thought, I think, with the opening scene was, hell yes, there's a dog. I'm so glad you brought this up. <laughs> and then and then what happened, Luke? And then that was it for the dog. I, had, I didn't hear anything more about it. I had the same moment as I had when we did Crimson Queen, where he's got this dog that seems like they're super great buds, and I was so excited for him and the dog to go on adventures together, and then he just has to leave the dog behind. I would love to hear from that dog's perspective what's going on. Probably freaking out right Give now. Give me a chapter from the dog's perspective. <laughs> I we sh- okay we should not be writers. <laughs> we just like dogs too much. Who doesn't Okay. I think too much is is the wrong choice of words. Because who like dogs are great. Dogs are so good. Right. Uh, and I think dogs are underrepresented in fantasy. In the in the fan- yeah, that's definitely true actually. I totally agree with that. But okay. Next thing I want to say Still kind of at the beginning. When, I think, Auric? Are we pronouncing it Auric? Auric is how I've been saying it, yeah. Okay. Auric goes to meet the the lady that rules this area. Mm-hmm. Lady Hannah or something like that. So he goes to meet the lady that rules this area. And he walks into her study. And there's this great, he, great big desk that she's behind. And... 
let me just say the first thing is that nothing better than a great desk to to set up your office for like intimidation or anything else. The other thing I want to say is, Dan, the area, the era of the cool big desks is over. What? Whoa. Here's the thing. We have every desk, basically. If you're doing work at a desk, you have to have a computer there, essentially. Mm-hmm. The, you, can't, you can't have a big cool desk with a computer on it. What do you, why not? I just think it takes away from the look. Mm. Okay, no, I totally get what you're saying. Like, a great big desk has a sense of, like, regality to it, like elegance, right? Maybe yeah. like a dark wood. And then if you plop like a Dell monitor on the top of that, it takes away instantly. It takes away all the cred from the desk. This is exactly. such a good point. Also, if you think of like why you needed a big desk, it was so you could, you know, roll out a big map and have this really big surface to do all this stuff. Now, none of that, we don't do any of that anymore. It's all on the computer now. So we have substituted an, an incredible, giant, beautiful desk for just like, I don't know. A thinking machine? A, I don't know if it's worth it, a, honestly. Yeah, I think we go back to the desks, Luke. <laughs> I think every super successful person that has a great study that they have people come in needs one desk for a small desk off to the side for like actual work purposes that has the computer on it. And then one giant desk in the middle for when people come in to, to meet them. That's for intimidation purposes only. Right. Or just to set the scene. I mean, it doesn't have to be intimidation, but everybody knows you're doing your work, your best work when you're behind a real cool desk. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So they have that encounter with the priestess of Belu. Belu? Belu? How are we saying this? I think I've been saying Belu. Yeah, I think Belu. Belu as well. <laughs> anyway, they have this encounter with her where they have to cut her leg off and it's kind of in this encounter we learn that the priests of belu are able to perform miraculous healings and so we kind of learn that the gods in this world actually impart power to the people that are their devotees and when they first come into the city where the citadel is located, they encounter a gatekeeper. And this gatekeeper is super curmudgeon just doesn't want to let him in for whatever reason. And he asks about the woman who has her leg cut off. And she says something like, oh, Belu's blessings upon you, sir. And he says, bugger Belu and her blessings. <laughs> what dude she she like heals people she has actual power in this world it's not like somebody's just you know saying something meaningless to you this could actually have power in your life and yeah and this is a good point i didn't think about this when it happened because we so often associate gods with not being real or not having any power right so it, it, i didn't even think about it when it happened 
I but yeah, that's a bold move. I can't stop thinking about this in this universe, Luke, because all of the deities in this universe seem to have some power on the like plane that everybody is on. They seem to be able to influence events and they give people power to do things. There have got to be no atheists, right? Like nobody is an atheist in this world. I would I would assume so. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some people that are because because in our current world there's people that think that the world is flat, but it doesn't it doesn't make sense to be considering you can literally see the effect, especially when their their magic, I guess. The, their healing powers are just are essentially them praying, right? So it'd be it's hard to, yeah. I don't know why you wouldn't, why you would like deny their existence or even say anything bad about them. Yeah, I don't know, Luke. I uh, I don't think they put her leg back on. I think she just had a twin and they brought her out. <laughs> I doubt it. You think there's got to be, there's got to be conspiracy theorists in this world. I mean, it's not even that hard. Illusionists do it all the time. It's just a trick. <laughs> That's a very good point. Um, I actually, up until we saw her come back with her leg back on, I kind of suspected maybe the their healing powers were nonsense almost. Because just because we had seen them essentially praying and we hadn't seen effects of it yet Mm -hmm. until then, I think. Right. And so it took it for a little while. I was thinking just, uh, I don't know if these guys are actually doing anything. And then she comes back with her leg reattached after it being unattached for like four days. (laughs) It's like, oh, yep, it works. It's very good. It's way better (laughs) than what we got. Okay. I'm going to talk about the the people that they cobble together. Their to their adventuring party. Yeah. yeah. So so we've basically got we've got a nerd, <laughs> we've got a goth, and we've got a cool kid. <laughs> and and Arg basically says this when they walk in. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> It's just, like, Arik, don't be so judgmental about these guys, you know? Oh. I mean, he turned out to be right. See, I was taking this as, like, Arik is the principal, and Belek is the cool teacher, and these are, like, a group of high school misfits that are just trying to make their way in the world. Oh, yeah, that's definitely it. And so it's essentially fantasy high school, but it's taking place not, not in a high school, right? Right. Although you wouldn't, and oh yes, and the reason why, the only reason why these three people are together is because they had to team up because everyone else is sick or dying. Yeah, this is a, this is a group project, essentially. And yeah, this is, this is the thing that always happens. You've got the cool kid that probably isn't going to do much work. No. You've got the nerd and the goth. (laughs) Yeah, those classic high school archetypes. There's only those three. So you are one of them. <laughs> yeah, try to figure out which one. Uh, so 
The other thing I wanted to say is Arik describes them all. He doesn't say, he describes the, I forget the name of Lumari, I think is the nerd. Del is the goth. And God, we're doing bad with names. And uh, Nacus, I think. It's like Naeus. Naeus, yeah. Is the is the cool kid. And Auric describes Naeus. And he just says basically that Naeus has all these really nice clothes. He's like tall and handsome. Has a great sword. It's probably worth a lot. And then he says that he wanted to punch him in the face. Uh, rude. Yeah. I think that's rude. Look, some people just have really punchable faces. You're not wrong. But he didn't... He, I I don't know. I I thought it was very I think Auric is very judgmental. I think and I think so too, actually. There Auric is trying to set up Naeus as this pompous kind of overly self important asshole. That's exactly what Auric is. But he's being quiet yeah. he's being quieter about it. Yeah, I would agree. And because if you think of the only thing that Naeus has really done, aside from how he talks, the only thing that he's really done that demonstrates that he is a little bit too full of himself is getting in that bar fight with someone. But right before that happens, he offers to take everyone around and show them his hometown and have, like give them a real great night. And Arik's like, I'll pass on that. Thank you very yeah. much. Arx Arx the, does the is the meanest person ever right in this circumstance. Like imagine if you're if you've got some friends, you're on a you're on a road trip with some friends and you happen to stop by your hometown and you're like, "This is great, guys. I if you want, I can show you around. We can see all my favorite places and, you know, I know the home I know this town really well, so I think we can have a great night." And one of them is like, "I don't fucking like doing the same things that you do." I'm not doing it. I'm going to stay in the car. <laughs> and it's the new guy. You're trying to show the new guy a good time and have a bonding experience with him. And he's just not having it. He's just like, no, I'm going to play yeah. cards with myself. I'm going to play solitaire in the car. <laughs> Come on, dude. I I mean, I think it's important to say that Naeus isn't quite as good of a person as we're making him seem i mean i don't know about a good person but he fits he somewhat fits what Arik is describing or what Arik thinks he is basically yeah i mean we're getting it from Arik's perspective right. but still right i mean he still says the things that he says right he still kind of has that air of self-importance sure right but i don't know Arik actually rubbed me the wrong way a little bit on this one and you know what Arik. It's revealed that Arik was knighted because he was short. He still makes everyone call him Sir. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think he makes everyone call him Sir. He, like, there's a lot of times when he's... He introduces himself as Sir. True. True. <sighs> and it's only after it was revealed that he says, oh, I didn't tell you you have to call me Sir. Because I think he knows that they're going to find out. But everyone else, he introduces himself as Sir Arik. I want to keep talking about Arik a little bit. And I was going to save this for the end because this happens at the end of this section. But since we're already talking about this, 
Let's talk about the bar fight a little bit. Okay, yeah. So we we get Arik staying on the boat, I guess, and he has this conversation with the general or whoever that guy is. And they get word that they're in this bar fight, Naeus and um, the other the other knight, or the uh, Arik's friend. And he runs over there, and he comes into the bar and finds basically... Bellic, I think is his name, mm-hmm. swinging like a club, or he he's holding it as if he's going to swing yeah. it, kind of holding off these guys. And Naeus is drunkenly sitting on the ground, like waving his sword around. And there's, I think, three guys that are confronting them, essentially. Four. It's four. Right? Four? Okay. And then Auric comes in, and he tries to yell at everyone to stop. And they're like, no, this guy's... For, okay, first of all, I don't... Do you understand what this bar fight is about? Why are these guys so mad? They're mad because Naeus was acting like the shit, and they were making fun of him. And so I think there's, like... It's controversial whether or not Naeus started it or they started it. But I think the question... The point of contention was about Naeus's birth, Naeus's lineage. Yeah. So, okay, first point I want to make that's not that important is that kind of weird for them to get in a knife fight about this. It's not that big, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> right, like somebody will probably die if there's a knife fight. If if I'm out hanging out with friends and I, somebody's trying to tell me that they're the son of Bill Clinton or something like that, I'm going to be like, okay, man, whatever. I'm not going to confront him and try to kill him. Okay, yeah, but Luke, you're not gonna. You're not the one who's in this bar. If 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 we were in a fantasy story, it would be like, yeah, there was a small bookish-looking type sitting in the corner of the tavern <laughs> who did nothing at all the entire evening. That would be the end of Fair that would point. be the end of our part in the story. But I can imagine I can imagine this kind of a person in a bar fight, definitely. Okay, yeah. So. I'm, I think this is perfectly reasonable. I think it just like got out of hand and everyone was a little drunk. Okay, sure. Next point. Arg tries to de-escalate the situation. That doesn't work. And then he just takes it to 100. He takes out his sword and cuts the dude's ear off with no warning? What? <laughs> this is exactly the point that I want to make. <laughs> Arik goes from 0 to 100 extremely quickly. And he then goes from 100 to like 40 extremely quickly. And here's what I mean by that. He goes from 0 to 100 in the sense that he seems like a badass swordsman, right? It's it's described that he is he pulls out his sword so quickly and fluidly and accurately that he can chop off just this guy's ear with it. And it's like they didn't even see it happening. It sounds like he is the greatest sword fighter we have ever heard of. It sounds like he is going to be the best duelist. And then he blocks one drunken bar patron's knife and another one gets one in his chest. And immediately, my opinion of him dropped to, oh, okay, so you're slightly better at sword fighting than most people. You're slightly better at sword fighting than a drunk dude with a knife. And, is what this and is. sure, it was four on three at that point. But, and, and you were taking two of them on. 
but only two of them had knives. One had a candlestick, and I think the other... I don't remember what the other one had. But... Come on! Like, what? (laughs) You can't last more than four seconds in this bar fight without getting stabbed in the chest, Auric? (laughs) That's not... That does not bode well for the rest of this story. (laughs) Right. Okay, so that happens. He... And then... Bellic, I think, lifts up Naeus and tries to run off, and one of the guys stabs Naeus in the back. And then they all and they all run out. And then at the end, after everything turns out to be okay, he like goes and gives gives Naeus this lecture. And he's like, You almost got us freaking killed, Naeus. No. No, Arik, you almost got everyone killed. Right. You should be dead right now, but you got saved by the stupid little pocketbook. <laughs> You, this was not going to turn out this badly. No. Also, think of what was going to happen in the next 30 seconds if Arik had just distracted these people. There was going to be like 12 Marines come in with clubs. These drunken people are not going to want to fight. They're that outnumbered. All you have to do is distract them for a little bit longer. And nobody, nobody has to get hurt. And you know that there's help coming. You told them where to meet you. Arik, what what are you doing? The other thing that I think is wild about this, when, is it Syrah, Syrah? Who's the... I've been saying Syrah. Syrah so when Syrah heals Naeus, she discovers that there's poison on the knife. Who brings a poisoned knife to a bar fight? I get, I get a knife maybe, but who's carrying around a poison knife? Yeah, I... That was kind of interesting. Uh, maybe, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's not actually poison. It's just such a bad taken care of knife that it's like a ton of rust or something. He's going to get tetanus. <laughs> yeah, she saved him from tetanus. Okay, okay. Alternatively, alternatively, Arik doesn't go from 100 to 40. Alternatively, he goes from... 100 to 200 because if this guy's got a poison knife i imagine he's been in quite a few knife fights i imagine he's not just carrying around a poison knife for fun i imagine he anticipates he's gonna have to use it at some point to kill someone so Maybe this group of drunken bar patrons, because they had already taken care of a lot of people in the bar. There were, like, bodies strewn everywhere. Maybe these last four were part of a knife-fighting gang in this city. And they had identified Naeus as the son of the Earl and were trying to assassinate him. Mm. And maybe Arik came in. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, took a knife to the chest. But these are trained assassins. And he took on two of them. Okay. I like it. Because, I mean, there's just no way a regular person has a poison knife in a bar. No. It's because a poison knife is also only useful for one thing. And that's stabbing people. You can't, you're not, that's not a utility blade at that point. You don't have it for like, oh, you need to open a letter? Here. Here's my knife. Right. And it's not a defensive no one's using a poison weapon in defense. Absolutely not. You're not going to pull it out and say, hey, just so you know, person I'm fighting, this is a poison knife, so really don't come at me now. Yeah. Oh, man. 
This is going to come up later. You think so? I, I, this has got to be some some group that's trying to stop this expedition. Oh, yes. Okay, okay. A poison knife, Dan? No way. Is this going to be is this going to be the crack that really opens this nut up? Is this poison knife that we've found? I think so. I think it might be. Cuz also there's just no way Arik if these were just regular semi-drunk if this was a semi-drunk bar fight, Arik should have been able to deal with it no problem. Yeah. I do I mean I do think Arik doesn't know. Like he still did a terrible job and escalated this situation. But I think this poison blade has got to tip us off to something. Yeah, for sure. Let's go back a little bit. When they're still in the capital city and they go to this hearing with the queen. What were your thoughts on this? Well, so, I mean, the whole time I was picturing, you know how every five or six years they come out with a new Alice in Wonderland movie? (laughs) Yeah. So that's the aesthetic that I was picturing here. I actually I actually was picturing the same thing and I didn't yeah, totally. Yeah. Is this just like weird Alice in Wonderland type court proceedings that's happening where everyone's just in the most absurd makeup and hairstyles possible? So that yeah, that's just what I had in my head. Okay. What so it took me I guess I hadn't quite connected with the characters that much. And with quite with the story quite as much yet. But then when I know that I got sucked in is how stressed out I was when reading this. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> I was legitimately like holding my breath when Ark was uh, petitioning the queen, I guess. And I don't know. I, that, I think before that I hadn't quite gotten sucked up, sucked into the story. Yeah. And I don't know, that intrigued me a lot. It was so freaking <laughs> tense, dude. Yeah. That, I don't really have anything about it, but it really got built up by the first petitioner guy just getting just so unfortunate. Well, and the way the queen is described as having this kind of dual personality where sometimes she's very playful and kind of crazy but quirky and then sometimes her demeanor changes and everyone in the room knows something really bad is about to happen and the fact that it happens just super suddenly and you don't know when it's going to occur makes that scene just so incredibly tense and it was freaking great there's another little detail about that scene that i have my own theory about and i'm interested it's not like a it's not like a big reveal theory potentially, but it's a theory about why why the guards are blindfolded. Okay. So I think the guards are blindfolded because pretty much everybody wants this queen to die at this point. <laughs> okay. And so the the guards are blindfolded almost as a sign to everyone that yeah if you if you try and kill the queen we're not going to do anything about it <laughs> i like it i'm not i okay so i think that's probably not the reason but that's okay that's definitely not the official reason but i know it's gone through those guards head before right where they're standing there 
and they're just thinking, yeah, I can't see anything. So I'm not doing anything if I hear a ruckus. <laughs> because I, nobody likes the situation. E- right. Everybody, it seems like, is so fed up with this bullshit with the queen. But she won't die, and they're pretty sure she's not going to die for a very long time. And we'll get to we'll get to that whole thing in a second, because oh man, there's a lot to talk about there. <laughs> but a lot of people have tried to kill the queen, and everybody is kind of aware of the fact that there's something protecting her, where she can't die because of this deal that they made. And so I I. I mean, yeah, it was probably just a crazy thing that the queen told them to do. But I like to think that some of the guards one day just decided to put blindfolds <laughs> on as a sign to everyone that, yeah, we don't we don't care. Please take her out. Yeah. But nobody can, so. And I mean, maybe the queen did order it because she knows that no one can harm her. So she's like, yeah, guards, all of you are blindfolded because no one's going to come at me. Little little show of power. Yeah, that's pretty impressive, actually. So, I, I okay. So I didn't have anything on this, but I, I do want to talk about the the protection that she has. I guess. Yeah. yeah. I. So I have a way around this. Okay. You don't have to kill her. Oh. Okay. She just doesn't have to be important anymore. You know what I mean. But, but but Luke, she's the queen. <laughs> Just don't don't do the things that she says. What? <laughs> Luke, you know the queen will have you executed if you talk like that. That's a good point. Yeah. This is I don't know much about the Queen of England situation. And I'm not suggesting this, but like she does she have power right now? Uh, Luke, we we are not qualified to talk about this at all. No, no, we're definitely not. All of our all of our listeners from England, feel free to yell at us for because I I mean the queen's very the queen of England's very popular. I think. I mean, like, I don't know anything about this. I, I imagine. God. I was just about to say, I imagine people in England think of her as like a third grandmother, but I don't even want to say that because I don't, that might be offensive. So I'm sorry, people of England. Yeah. Okay. Let's cut this short. This, this analogy short. What's, what's, what are your thoughts on how to take care of the queen? Okay. So (laughs) you're, the point you made is exactly the point I made where just stop listening to her. (laughs) You could just say, yeah, she's crazy. So... We're done here. Here's, uh, yeah, okay. Here's the. I think what might be the issue is, I I'm assuming that this priestly order, the Timulus. did, yeah, that did this sketchy. Which, by the way, no. if someone comes to you and is like, "Hey, let us let us hang out the, with the queen alone for three days," and she comes out perfectly fine, and I, oh, we're gonna get to that, Luke. But hold on, we need to make your point, and we're coming back to Timulus. I just, it just, uh, people are trusting. That's, that's basically my point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think you are right in the sense that whatever they did is also cementing her power. It's not just making sure that she stays alive. It's cementing her as the ruler of this kingdom. 
yeah, I assume even if even if there wasn't something special that they did then that would keep her cemented as the ruler, I assume they're working behind the scenes to do this kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because it seems like she's at least doing the things that that god is kind of into and the reason why i think that this is so crazy that they allowed this god the priests of this god to come in and do this when they are coming into the city for the first time arik is talking about the temple district and he lists off the major gods that we've seen in this world so far and then he gets to this one temple that he describes as the god of thieves and petty sorcerers and as he's first describing it i was my first thought was why why do you allow that just <laughs> just say no like with the temple in Loch lamora they don't have a temple to the god of thieves because everyone would just say yeah we don't want that here please take that <laughs> right. away and so they they have the temple disguised as something else but apparently this god is cool with being known as the god of tricksters and thieves, and everyone is fine with a temple in their city for this god? So, okay, I, I know what you mean. I don't think that's quite as crazy. I mean, think about, like, I don't know that much about Greek mythology. Yeah. But isn't Loki basically that? Well, okay, that's Norse, first of all. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Maybe like it shows how little I know. Hermes is kind of a god of tricksters and jokes sort of. But uh, so keep in mind that Auric is the one saying this. Yeah. Maybe I could see it being a god that has these characteristics, but it's not like the god of thieves. Auric is just like, yeah, those were all the freaking thieves. So maybe the god gets a bad reputation because of who hangs out with them? Or just, or just, I mean, yeah, pretty much. I, I just, I don't, I don't think it's quite as unheard of. I don't know, though, because all the gods are connected with this very specific power. As he's going through and listing these temples, he's saying, you know, Belu, the mother, she, like, her devotees are healers. And then there's a craftsman who their people are always working the forges and making cool stuff. And the only thing he says for Timulus is trickster and thief. Which at the very least, if you go into this temple and they say, oh, this is the temple of Timulus. And you say, what is, what is Timulus the god of? And they're like, ah, don't worry, don't <laughs> worry about that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um... <laughs> So, and then this also ties into with the queen. I, I feel like you would ask the priests of Timulus, okay, so what's your god about? Before you say, yeah, definitely come on in and fix the queen. Whatever you do is yeah. fine. Yeah, for sure. And ask them what their plans are. Right? Maybe do a little bit of research. Maybe just a little bit, because especially in this world where the gods have power that you don't really, not a lot of people know exactly where it comes from. You don't know what they did. Obvious as a parent with what happened, it obviously did not turn out good at all. So do your research next time, guys. <laughs> 
exactly. <laughs> okay. Do you do you have more on the queen? No. Okay. I'm going to move on to the when we learn about the dun or I'm I'm thinking of it as a dungeon because it's basically Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. But yeah, this whole story was such a trigger for D&D the whole time. As I've been reading this, I've been thinking it would be so cool to play a Dungeons and Dragons campaign set in this universe where you have the party as part of the Syriac League that's going around and investigating dungeons and crypts and stuff. Very cool. Yeah. But when they are describing this place that they're going and they're trying to learn more about it and they learn that there's a temple to some god on top of it. And that temple has basically stopped people from going down into it. And they, they're like, yeah, we keep sending them letters. And they just reply with, quote, it is forbidden. Fuck that, dude. I'm not. If that's the reply I'm getting, no, I'm not going. No way I'm going. That's terrifying. Oh, dude, I'm I'm thinking the opposite, actually. If that's the reply okay, I'm getting, I'm I'm I will go if I'm controlling a character on my PlayStation. Yeah, I'm not going personally. Oh no 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 no! Okay okay, I'm definitely not going personally. <laughs> exactly. That's not what I meant. I meant if I'm a figure of authority and I'm trying to get access to this place. And these priests to this other religion are sitting on top of it saying, no, nah, you can't go in there. Definitely not. Oh, they're first. And, okay. And they're not, and they're not saying it like that. They're saying only three words. It is forbidden. Yeah. They're, they're working with whatever's down there. These priests are not, you just, you take the whole lot out for sure. You get a priest with a fireball or something and you just light that baby up. Because just those are bad priests. You got a batch of bad priests over there. But also priests with great senses for drama, you know? Oh, well, yeah, definitely. Like, here's the thing. If I'm when I'm at work and someone's like asking me something, they send me an email. Sure. <laughs> send me an email, ask me something. And if, and if I have to tell them no... I'm going to explain in detail why, because I don't want them to think that I'm a dick. And I don't know. I just always think that good descriptor or like them knowing more information is better. But imagine if you get an email from someone just saying like, it is forbidden for something that you requested. I mean, I would just think that they're a dick, but. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Yes. But they also have a great sense for drama, Dan. Yeah. Can you imagine if the Google email autocomplete was this laconic? Like if you were, (laughs) it suggested it is forbidden as a reply to somebody's email (laughs) that you were sending. Oh man, I wish Google was tweaked that way to where all of our emails just started sounding so intense. (laughs) And we, we all could kind of figure out like, okay, this is just Google like coming up with this cool way to say this phrase and he's just saying no he doesn't want to come to lunch at Popeye's with us this week (laughs) but I think that's a great that's a great add-on though oh my gosh yes if Google had the option 
when in your for your little pop-ups for your email reply suggestions to be super epic yeah that'd be great okay so mike team up with us for this for this idea and google and google we we won't do much i guess we don't we had the idea though that's what counts i mean I, i think we give this one up for free too you get two for free everybody gets two for free the third one's gonna cost you though okay the okay i want to talk about the syriac league a little bit and at first i i thought they were cool but they seemed more just like a treasure hunter league that didn't seem to have a very great success rate with people coming back alive and there was a really small detail that instantly changed my whole perspective on the league where now I think that they are so badass. And that detail is when they brought back this artifact that they think is causing all of this mayhem in the Citadel, they had some priests look at it to see if it was special or anything. And they determined that there was some necromancy coming off of it but that was all that they could really figure out. And so they took it and they put it in a display case in the (laughs) middle of the Citadel, like hallway where they have novices go and kind of like dust it off every now and then. Damn. You don't confidence. Yeah. That confidence is off the charts at that point, because you have no idea what this is. You know that it's powerful because you heard the story of where it came from. When I heard the story at the end of chapter 13, oh boy, this thing is bad. <laughs> oh no. And yeah, and they put it just out. They put it in the lobby. Guests are walking by to come visit. Somebody asks about it. Oh yeah, that was pride from the head of a statue that was oozing black ichor and <laughs> killed like three of our greatest see that mural over there yeah those people got it and three of them died (laughs) they got murdered (laughs) but it's pretty sweet though right (laughs) we know very little about it but we're not worried you know what that's yeah okay this is a good point they're very confident and i like i love i mean it it hasn't turned out well for them but i like the confidence i also think they had a, a display case what other stuff do they have just out and about on display for people to walk by like oh yeah here we have the demon the demon chest of bangalore that has just a demon living inside of it we haven't figured out how to open it yet but eh, it should be fine and over to our left we just have a, a gun there's just a gun we don't know how it works but that's kind of cool <laughs> yeah this is a good point i bet their display area is phenomenal Uh, it's got to be so cool it's to me it's the equivalent of a museum in london finding an unexploded bomb buried under the streets and then just digging it up and putting it in the middle of the lobby like having (laughs) someone look at it for a minute and say yeah probably is fine and then just putting (laughs) it in the lobby as like look at this cool piece of history and also you have to think that I'm picturing this. Okay, so I've never played D and D. As our as but, our longtime listeners will know, 
<laughs> but I'm also picturing it as a lot of other games that I have played, which is like, you know, going into dungeons and finding loot, yeah. essentially. Yeah. A lot of this loot, I'm assuming, is like really cool weapons and whatnot. But none of the agents have anything but just basic equipment. So there's got to be some dope swords and whatnot in there. Can you imagine the Syriac League's vault where they have all the enchanted armor and weapons and just the coolest stuff? And, I mean, it doesn't sound like anyone has access to that because they're all using just regular armor and swords. But, man, some of that stuff has got to be so cool. For sure. Take some of it, you know? Use it. Don't just lock it up. (laughs) Which I think that actually might be part of the reason why they're exploring all these crypts is it sounds like the magic system in this world is really tied into the Dao. Dao? Is that what we're saying? Jiao. Jiao. And you could potentially discover some new magic if you find a cool artifact in a Jiao temple. But also there's got to be a sword, right? Oh, so many. So many. One thing, okay, I didn't actually have this down, but now that you kind of mentioned it, this is one of the first books in a while that we've read where magic has actually been used for useful things. Yes. Like, magic seems huge for the economy, just general... I I mean, the examples that I'm thinking of are every ship has a couple... Aquamancers and Aeromancers. Yeah, I love this. I think this is so cool. Yeah. I like to see it. We've because we've we've I mean not ranted but we've talked about this on previous episodes where the magic system has always been focused on combat and we're like, you know, you could do you could do cool stuff. But one thing that I want to talk about is the the dream that Arik keeps having mm-hmm. about his past experience. There's so I'm picturing basically zombies. And I'm trying to figure out what kind of zombies these are. Because there's a wide range in our picture of zombies where there's the slow walking little stupid zombies. And then there's the like I am legend zombies that come hurling at you right. and there's no way to fight them essentially. And I I'm I'm I think they're somewhere in the middle because they seem to be very good at fighting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I was first thinking this scene where Arik gets, climbs out of this hole and he's going to help his, I think, alchemist out of the hole. But then <laughs> the alchemist lights it up and there's the dead body standing right next to him, which is terrifying. Yeah. And then he like kind of tries to push the zombie away and then the zombie just bites him in the neck. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out if the alchemist is just terrible at fighting or if these zombies are actually super intense. I think a little bit of both. So when I picture these zombies, I picture something closer to the Draugr from Skyrim. But if the Draugr mm-hmm. were like quicker and not quite like as spindly. Okay. Sure. Um, and... I mean, I think in the Syriac League, everybody who gets sent on one of these treasure hunt missions is very specialized. Because when we hear the story from the the blind monk, mm-hmm. 
who went on one of these missions, he was kind of like the rogue of the party. He would do all the lock picking and look for traps and all this stuff, but he wasn't really very useful outside of that. And everyone else not having him was a big disadvantage. Like no one else could really do that same job. And we saw when Arik tried to give a sword to the alchemist, I think they cut themselves really early on with it. So it seems like everyone's really specialized in their role. And yeah, this alchemist probably isn't good at fighting. So yeah, I think I think all of these people on the mission are super specialized. And the alchemist definitely is a terrible fighter. Yeah, okay. I just want to say my one of my favorite words that comes up in fantasy novels, grog. <laughs> I love, I think what, what happens is Naeus basically is insulting the beer that they drink and he calls it grog. And that's fantastic. Oh, I'm now whenever, so I don't, I'm not the kind of person that goes out to like bars a lot, yeah. you know, yeah. but I hear a lot of people talking about it and they're like, you know, this place has really good drinks. I can't wait for the next time someone says something like that. Like, oh, you drink that grog <laughs> and then tell them some other place. That's that's my goal, essentially. Here's the thing. I don't know what grog is. I've only ever... This is a... Our longtime listeners will get this reference, but this is a scone. This is a Redwall scone thing for me. <laughs> where grog, I've always pictured as just... Like if you mixed beer with seawater... Same. Yeah. That's what I picture grog is. I have no idea what grog is. At at all. Maybe it's but great. It's, I I okay, so I I assume it's not. But I mean I it's it's probably a really acquired taste. I think some people love it. Okay. So then how is this even an insult then for Naeus? That'd be like him saying, "Oh, that's you're you're gonna drink that scotch? I prefer bourbon. It's like, well, yeah, there there are really good scotches that you could drink as well. That's not. I'm not really that offended. That's a good point. I I think I have to try grog now. Yeah. What if I'm a grog guy? I oh, that'd be that'd be cool actually. Right. Honestly, I could feel like a pirate all the time. Oh. Now, along with me loving the word grog, I'm now a grog fan, I think. Granted, I've never tried it, but... We're part of the grog gang. Yeah, grog gang. If you want to be part of the grog gang, just tweet at us anything. Hashtag grog gang. Tweet at us with your favorite grog recipes and include the hashtag grog gang. (laughs) And what you like to do. Maybe you have some grog drinking games that you like to play. Yeah. Some pirate-themed oh, yeah. grog drinking games. Tweet at us. Be be part of the grog gang, everybody. It's a great squad. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So next time we'll be reading up to about two-thirds the way through the book. Wherever, I don't know where that is, but, you know, we'll get there. Hopefully they're going to get to this freaking temple at some yeah. point. I'm excited to see it. And we, we all love that. As I said earlier, our our roles in the story are basically to just be two bookish types sitting in the corner of the tavern while there's a bar fight going on, throwing out hot takes. Looking like dumb nerds. <laughs>